we can't be in the same room But a podcast can't be stopped The cinemas are empty, the industry is fucked But we won't log off, we're not going out We're staying at home And when we watch films, we watch them alone We sit in our pants, stick on something crap And then we hit Skype for a little chat Little chat, little chat, little chat Hello, welcome to another episode of Film Chat, second of 2021. Um, Danny, how's it going? We're in the lockdown, whatever, lockdown uh, 15 or whatever strange iteration of the rules we've got now. Uh, but there's a lot of sitting around, a lot more watching. How are you, how are you finding the, the latest phase? It's all just time has stopped, it's dilated, I don't know what's going on. All you can do is stay indoors and hope that Netflix has created a completely meaningless show for you to watch. And would you know it, they have. They have. So uh, I've watched a bit of Bridgerton, the latest Netflix hit, which is like Shonda Rhimes sort of colorblind version. I think it's adapted from a series of books, but sort of like Jane Austen light, I guess you could describe it as. There's fussy older men, uh, strapping lads in coats, fighting over people's honor, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like a kind of YA version of, of Jane Austen. For for a I guess teen audience that um, enjoys you know the all all the old uh, Austin adaptations, but they've just ramped up the um, amount of sex in it because that's what people really want. Like the bosoms are heaving even more than they were previously. The lads are much more strapping. Like the amount of cleavage in this show is just absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> it just looks like quite painful how high up people's boobs have been like hoiked up. It's like Jesus, even when they're like. In their like nightgowns, they've absolutely maxed out the the sexiness of the costumes of that era has been pushed to the max. The guys are stripping to the waist with a lot of regularity, and uh, everything is super colourful. So the dowdiness of period drama is they've made sure that they're not doing that. It's kind of like a circus or like a Baz Luhrmann version or a music video, something along those lines. And uh, yeah, it's just the sort of poppy gives you everything you want like sugar rush version of a um of a period drama the thing i'm finding the most funny about it is the main guy the sexy tall like basically it was like a sort of top shop model he's a kind of byronic figure isn't yeah. he the sort of brooding sexy libertine black libertine rake dude but he has decided to do a sort of sexy voice so he kind of talks like this the whole way through but miss bridgerton thought me presumptuous arrogant insincere all fair, really. And I thought her a prim young lady barely out of leading strings. Not to mention the sister of my best friend, and so romance was entirely out of the question for both of us. And it's just distractingly funny. And it reminds me so much. He sounds identical to uh, Chiwita Lajofa in Kinky Boots. Because like, <laughs> I watched that quite recently when he's like complaining about the colour burgundy. He's like, burgundy, red. <laughs> Red, the colour of love, or whatever. He's sort of doing that voice, which was obviously like a comedic performance, but he's just playing it very straight. Red, Charlie boy! Rule one, red! It's the colour of sex! Burgundy is the colour of hot water bottles. Red is the colour of sex and fear and danger and signs that say do not enter. It is very Netflixy, I find, like in that... Nothing terrible really happens. You know, the emotional register, everything's like operating between like a six and a seven. Nothing super dramatic happens, really. 
for the first episode, I kind of struggled to sort of place its tone. Like, how much of this is just like a sort of... It's like, it's kind of borderline like a sort of piss take, like a sort of French and Saunders sketch. But then it yeah. just kind of keeps on going, and it's like, okay, this is a drama, and it's like... But then it's, it's so kind of silly, and like... Its tongue is like halfway in its cheek? I don't know. I felt like it kind of wobbles a little bit occasionally of like, what am I... Try, am I... Do I give a shit? Don't I? What do you want me to do, TV show? Just enjoy the sexy people. There's enough rutting and heaving bosoms to just kind of make you forget about all that stuff. Yeah, I think that is basically... Yeah, I think, like, it does kind of highlight a bit of a problem with that general approach, which you, you do get put in a slightly awkward position as a viewer, I think, because everything about the the show tonally is telling you not to really invest in it. And so if there is ever a hint of nuance or ambiguity, it's a bit unclear whether you're supposed to engage or not. Like, there are a couple of characters in the show who I wasn't sure whether they were supposed to be villainous characters or good characters, whether I should be sympathizing with them or how I was supposed to be reading their motives and, you know, how their arc was going. And in a very in a show that was played very straight, that ambiguity feels very comfortable because, you know, you're watching complex humans and yeah. you don't know what's going to happen with them. But in a show like this, which is all bright colors and it's all fantastical, you expect the characters to be painted in these broad strokes where you just get them instantly and you're like, all right, I get it. She's the, you know, the 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 beautiful uh, romantic heroine and he's like the sexy, dark romantic hero or whatever. And you understand those characters. And when there's peripheral characters who don't fit in an obvious template, it just end, ends up seeming like bad writing because it's like, I thought these were all just, you know, cardboard cutouts sort of being pushed together so we can enjoy them being sexy together. Yeah. So it kind of limits what the show can do, I think, because like if it reaches for any kind of nuance in its writing, it just strikes a strange note. It does. But the main guy's voice is quite entertaining. I think it's worth watching a bit for that. I, I actually enjoyed it. I watched, yeah, I've seen all of Bridgerton and thought it was kind of fine. I like the, the costumes are really out there. Polly Walker, I thought was really quite, quite good in it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of recommend it. Okay, it's a recommendation for Bridgerton. So he talks. Mm. What a gun. Yes, what a pity. I'll marry you. Okay, I won't marry you. I'll marry you, I guess. That's basically it, right? The first couple of episodes. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. Okay, we've got a bit of film news here. The film industry is uh, not going quietly into the dark night or however that poem goes. It's continuing to chug along despite the pandemic. And Noah Baumbach, who had some success recently um, uh, critically with his film A Marriage Story that came out on Netflix, which our qu- quite um, uh, unfavorable review failed to sink. And we thought, we, we thought we'd do, do him in. We thought we'd see the end of Baumbach with that one. But he's bouncing back and he's going to direct an adaptation of the Don DeLillo novel White Noise, which on this news article on the AV Club is described as a classic, quote, impossible to film novel, a plot light postmodern heavy exploration of death, consumerism, uh, death again, quiet suburban misery, uh, death and so on. I didn't realize this was going to be written in this sort of silly (laughs) glib tone, but there we go. Um, there's a college professor and his loving wife, modern anxieties, they're spiraling everyone inward towards their fear of their own demise, apparently. So, um, uh, this sounds like another, um, 
cerebral effort from Baumbach, who's you know dealt with uh, middle class types struggling with uh, existential matters before. And uh, Danny, what do you what do you make of this prospect? I think he's quite a bad choice. I've re- it's the only Delilo novel I've read. I went through like a period a couple of years ago, like trying to read more. And then my girlfriend asked me, like, how many of the books you're reading? I was reading a lot of, sort of like classic American literature from the second half of the century. It's like, how many of these are about college professors, like, wanting to fuck their students? It's like, surprisingly high amount. And uh, superficially, like, white noise has that kind of element to it. It's like middle class suburban people who uh, read a lot and are miserable. But it's got like a strain of like, and you can sort of see why that would be a fit for Noah Baumbach, who's like, that's his entire milieu, is just sort of miserable rich people. Uh, sort of, I kind of see him as a sort of sub-Woody Allen director. But uh, White Noise has this real like strain of weirdness and subversive quality to it, which I don't think is particularly present in Noah Baumbach's movie. I mean, it feels quite... I don't know if it's a spoiler, but like certain plot events chime with recent headlines in a way which maybe made it very easy for someone to green light. It's like, oh, yes, this is the novel of now, despite being written 40 years ago. The, well, there big racial protests or... Well, well, I mean, there's like presidential a... Presidential coup or something? <laughs> what do you want to... I mean, this is a spoiler if I tell you. Like, All right, all right. Well, then let's not let's not spoil the book. But yeah, and also I just have a... I find it a bit strange. It's like this amazing prescient novel, which is now 40 years old. I'm going to make it now. And it's like, why don't you just make your own story about consumerism or whatever? You know, it feels a bit, I always feel that's a bit limited when like people try and adapt a classic novel that was very much of its time, how many decades later, it always feels a bit like the horse has bolted already. Yeah, I guess it's inherently less prescient as, a, as <laughs> because, you know, as time goes by and it then becomes backward looking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't love like Cosmopolis, but I think like Cronenberg as a director is kind of more, feels a bit more like suited towards Don DeLeo's writing style than Noah Baumbach. But he has uh, convinced Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig to sign on, and they're both great. Probably easier to... I mean, maybe Greta Gerwig just has to be in his movie. Can you imagine if she was like, no, I don't want to? It'd be so awkward. (laughs) (laughs) They're at home. They've been in lockdown for, like, a year. They've got a young kid. He's like, darling, I want you to be in this film. Could she say no? I mean, it'd be so awkward if she said no. And like, she can't go anywhere, right? They're stuck there for another six months or however long this pandemic goes on for. Maybe she's just saying yes now. And then she's like, I was just saying that because we were in captivity basically together. But I really don't (laughs) want to be in your film. Yeah, she should uh, sabotage this project, make sure it doesn't happen and use the extra time she has to make her follow up to Little Women. She seems to be the far superior of the two. Yeah, I think it is a bit of a sort of like massive talent imbalance between the two of them. Like every like all his his best movies are the ones with her in them, or she's she's written. That she co-wrote. She yeah. co-wrote, and then she just went off like, "Why don't I direct this too?" And is like, "Oh, I'm actually much better at this than you." <laughs> just must be awkward around the house. Yeah. No wonder he's so bitter. So, although I'm bored of the uh, that subject matter in movies, do you still recommend the novel itself? The novel is brilliant. I mean, the novel, it, like, moves on past that and is, like, very weird and interesting. Uh, there's, like, a cool thing happens and it kind of goes off in this mad direction. But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he just isn't a good fit for the material. He's not very funny as well. Like, White Noise is quite a funny book and Noah Baumbach is not funny. 
my sort of hot take on him is like he's not funny like Woody Allen and he's not bitter like Alex Ross Perry. He's somewhere in the middle. He doesn't like he pulls his punches in like every respect, dramatically and comedically. It's all kind of low hanging fruit about like lame TV shows in LA or whatever, or like going to art exhibitions. It's like I don't care about your life, Bo Mac. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of, I kind of agree. Yeah, I, I mean, I haven't seen um, like a huge amount of Bound Back. I've seen the Greta Gerwig ones, which I thought were pretty good, um, and Marriage Story, which was quite bad, I think. And uh, but don't, don't care, don't care to see very much more. Don't care. Stop making films. Just produce your wife's films. <laughs> Just support your wife. Support your wife. Yeah, didn't you watch Marriage Story? You realise when they got divorced, he was a terrible husband, you know? Learn from your own <laughs> mistakes. Idiot. You're so merged with your own selfishness, you don't even identify it as selfishness anymore! You're such a dick! One of, uh, you know, our great auteurs with the funnest name to say, Darren Aaron Aronofsky, obviously didn't have a... Was it a hit? Mother? It certainly made an impression. But Mother, the polarizing film with Jennifer Lawrence, was three years ago now, and we've all been wondering what Darren Aaron Aronofsky's been up to. He is going to adapt Samuel D. Hunter's play, The Whale, which, as AV Club reports, is a story about an extremely overweight recluse on the brink of death who takes one last opportunity to reconnect with his estranged daughter, a sharp-tongued teenager. And playing the, I guess the whale refers to the guy, uh, is Brendan Fraser, him from The Mummy and George of the Jungle. And uh, DC's Doom Patrol. DC's Doom Patrol. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'd watch anything Darren Aronofsky does. I think he's kind of a fascinating director. He always kind of goes for broke in a way which is quite exhilarating, I think. I mean, Mother was, in its own way, another film about a kind of sad, middle-class, literary type struggling with his domestic issues, but... It also had like Kristen Wiig murdering some refugees in it, so yeah, you could learn you know. something here, Noah. Right? If you're gonna like <laughs> make some sort of navel gazing bullshit. Have like a mad god allegory and like <laughs> riot starting and yeah, just fill it with the... like riots. You know, babies being eaten alive, shit like that. Like yeah, it's 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 a lot more memorable. Your audience is gonna feel things. You know, they're not just gonna watch you. I don't know, go into a Starbucks and complain about the blandness of the coffee or <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting director, Darren Aronofsky. He's the, yeah, the equivalent of the word banana, but in a director's name. Just keeps going. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I still don't know how good Mother was. Probably not that good, but yeah. certainly fun to watch. Definitely a memorable viewing experience in... In a, in a packed cinema, seeing that one, so I would I would happily watch another one of his uh, his Bizarro movies. He definitely it's quite interesting in the way that he doesn't seem to have returned to the um, the more stripped down kind of Oscar bait style of the wrestler, which was pretty good. Uh, but he just ramped up the um, extreme weirdness and making films which are very very critically divisive and very expensive and probably not very successful. So maybe this is a return to the more low-key stuff yeah he reminds me a bit of like Lars von Trier just making increasingly like apocalyptic movies literally like no is about the end of the world and he's like how can I top this it's like what if God was one of the characters that's like, like <laughs> yeah okay um but yeah no I'll watch it and I really like Brendan Fraser 
And I just like the general trend of like auteurs selecting somebody they really like, an actor who's perhaps fallen out of like the spotlight. And it's like, you're a great actor and I have enough clout to cast you as the lead in my movie. And then, I, I don't know, like, I feel like it always pays off. You never like, oh, can you believe Spielberg got that guy from the 80s to be in his movie and he was terrible in it or whatever. They're always just like, people don't get worse at acting really. They just, you know, the industry moves on or whatever. And uh, yeah, I just have a lot soft spot for Brendan Fraser because you know, The Mummy was like my favourite movie for a solid six months when I was like nine. And I felt like he kind of did the Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt, Nathan Fillion thing before it was cool. It's sort of slightly, he was the hunky leading man who like was self-deprecating and like kind of half parody, half actual sincere sort of action leading man. Well, even even that is kind of a... He's a bit of a descendant of Harrison Ford in yeah, that way. It's right? all kind like, of Harrison Ford karaoke, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's true. It's true. He's, he's quite a charming screen presence. I mean, yeah, it's a bit kind of mean, isn't it, to be like, you haven't really worked for a while, uh, Brendan. I've got this role for like a sort of recluse fat man uh, <laughs> on the brink of death. <laughs> I think he'd be perfect for it. But, you know. Yeah. I wanted to cast Philip Seymour Hoffman, but he is at, he's literally died. So got to, yeah, got to get you. <laughs> when I came to him and I said brink of death, unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't specify brink. But, yeah. I mean, let's go see it in the Peck and Plex on Saturday night. Have a couple of beers beforehand. I'm already looking forward to it. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Stop talking now. Alrighty, so we came out of 2020, which will forever go down in history as the year of no superhero films, um, which was tough, tough for us all. Actually, that probably isn't even true, uh, but practically no superhero films. Birds of Prey came out, right? Birds of Prey came out in February. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, basically no superhero films. And um, 2021, we have a delayed blockbuster, much anticipated, Wonder Woman 1984, sequel to the original Wonder Woman, which was probably... DC's best received and maybe even most successful superhero film to date, um, starring Gal Gadot in the titular role as the Amazonian uh, princess who is sort of immortal and uh, cropping up throughout history. And the first film was set in the First World War, in which she kind of ends the war or something like that. She has to fight Ares, the, the, the god of war. He's like keeping the First World War going. Now she has skipped ahead to 1984. She spent 50 years doing something or other, not preventing World War II for whatever reason. And uh, she's now in Washington, D.C., working at a museum. And the film concerns her uh, coming up against a extremely Trump-like figure, Maxwell Lord, played by Pedro Pascal, a TV huckster uh, businessman who gets his hands on a magical wishing stone, which he uses to wreak havoc. Chris Pine returns as Steve Trevor for bizarre plot reasons, and Christian Wiig also stars as a uh, character who becomes an antagonist of Gal Gadot, Barbara Minerva, otherwise known as the DC villain Cheetah. Here is a clip. Good morning. Hi. Thank you. Diana Prince, cultural anthropology and archaeology. 
Barbara Minerva, geology, gemology, lithology, and part-time cryptozoologist. Oh, wow. <laughs> Kept busy in college. Sorry, it's his heels, you know, I just, stupid. I don't know why I was gonna wear heels. Scientists don't wear right. heels. Sometimes we do. Right. right. Have a nice day. But those are cool. I like those. Animal print. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to get lunch? I, um... I, I'm I, not now, obviously. <laughs> It's morning, but later today or whenever, like around like a lunchtime. I have a lot of work today, but maybe some other time. Oh, yeah, yeah I'm busy today too. Yeah, so I don't even know where to begin with this one. I guess um, we should we'll do we'll do a, a, a non-spoiler review and then maybe get into some spoiler territory because there's so much strange stuff in this film that it's really hard to get your teeth into it without without spoilers. So headline, like, what are the top? non-spoiler takeaways from this one danny it is mad it's it's such a strange film it's like i feel like we're always often complaining about films not like um wrestling with the now like kind of retreating to like an older simpler time and it's sort of done this by being in the 80s but it's a very now movie like as you referenced like the villain is clearly modeled on trump and there's a kind of scenes that deal with sexual harassment there's a sort of very pointed bit where like a wall is constructed. You know, it's all this person. The people who've written this movie have been paying attention to what's going on, reading all the headlines. But it's just such a complete mess. The the film, the kind of just the plotting, the character motivations. Uh, I was just a bit dumbfounded by it. Um, what I did like about it, I really liked the beginning. I thought the beginning was the best bit of the movie which uh, is heavily trailed, which is like a sort of uh, flashback sequence with young Diana in some sort of Olympics. And I just like, similar to the first movie, I think the best thing is like the, just a depiction of the female society, which is basically just like, what if ancient Greece, but there were no dudes. I felt that was the bit where the movie's like painful strain of sincerity was the most easy to buy into because it's like a little plucky kid, like riding a horse. It's easier to root for her than Gal Gadot in a way. Because it's like, oh, this is a little girl, you know? throwing a javelin, doing archery and stuff. I was like, I was kind of buying it. And then from then onwards, it kind of just just gets increasingly strange. Like every single decision with the way things are plotted. And uh, Pedro Pascal's character is just like a Latino Trump. I don't know what they were going for there. <laughs> but I thought his performance was kind of brilliant. It's almost like he was directed to be like, you're always on cocaine. But they just didn't film any of those <laughs> scenes of him like doing bumps. If you if you just yeah, keep that in your that's, mind, that's, like, a re- that's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> like he even gets like bloodshot. He's sweating. It's like he's so coked up in the movie, but he just never takes any cocaine on camera. So it just seems a bit mad. But I don't know. He sort of found the tone. I think it's like this script is totally fucking bananas. Just go for it. Yeah, I I think he was he was the strongest part of the film for me. Basically, he he's on this slow crescendo where pretty much without any change he's just every single line is a little bit more yelled than the previous <laughs> one so the very first line he delivers is like normal and the very final line is like screamed and then in between it's just he's just gradually getting louder and louder um so i definitely i definitely enjoyed that aspect of it um my sort of diagnosis my overall diagnosis of of what is of what is going on here and i think this really does tie in quite well into our sort of ongoing conversation about like big movie making whether by auteurs or by major studios producing blockbusters and their their difficulty 
like tapping into contemporary culture and politics and society and the difficulties reflecting it and this is a film which strains to do so very hard but just misses it in every single way <laughs> and and that's what makes it feel so bewildering to watch and that like it's it's very appropriate that this is like another movie that features um, a CGI cat, per like human hybrid, because <laughs> like one of the things that we were saying about cats is how it just feels like the factory, the sausage factory, producing mass entertainment. The the they've recalibrated the machines in an effort to keep up with contemporary audiences, and it's just wrong. Something's gone wrong, and it's not producing coherent things anymore. Um, and it somehow came out with cats and everyone was like, what the fuck is it? You thought this is what we wanted? What the fuck is this? This is a similar film where what they were trying to capture was the, I think like Superman is probably the heaviest influence on this movie. Wonder Woman is already quite a Superman-esque character, but that is the tone that they're going for. Like highly sincere, inspiring story of like good versus evil with like a powerful moral core and a sort of benevolent, angelic hero who 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 embodies all that is good and is kind of just reassuring and you just want to watch them do their great deeds. And it's a bit of a riposte to DC's previous films in which, like, the the angel is actually maybe a little bad because, you know, what what is power if there's no accountability or, you know, the, the sort of stuff that they were tackling-ish in Batman v Superman. And this is the opposite of that, where you're just happy to see the angel turn up, you know, they're just a good force for good and they're going to save the day and it's going to be really nice and that kind of open-hearted quality is like obviously what they were trying to capture but like these days that the self-confidence basically the belief that you know what is right and what is wrong is is what has evaporated from hollywood and the screenwriters i think and they don't know what moral to be teaching you they don't know what values to be defending exactly like they know that they're really angry because they're on twitter all the time they (laughs) know that it feels like the criminals are getting away with it and my institutions are collapsing and everything's going off the rails um and they you know they're, they're producing this film that's trying to defend justice and truth or something but um uh but they don't have the kind of core of like of uh uh of like what's the word i'm looking for they're not they're not centered in anything and they've just produced something which is just like a mess basically and the 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 depiction of the trump figure perfectly encapsulates this because pedro pascal's trump is like he's just references to trump but he in no way his character itself doesn't capture the essence of trump at all i mean actually the guy is nothing like donald trump yeah yeah. he's nothing like him (laughs) like it's so so weird to me you cannot possibly watch this film and not understand that they are trying to reference Trump. Every other line is, by the way, I am... Do-. He might as well turn to the camera and just say, I am Donald Trump, by the way. Like, he's a schlocky businessman, he's a charlatan, he calls people losers, he builds a big wall, like, he's, uh, you know, he's just, in, in every respect, Trump. But what he doesn't he doesn't represent Trump. Like, Trump is a representation of, like, inherited wealth and uh of like and white privilege white pri- yeah exactly and white privilege this kind of twisted version of like um like the the, the excesses of like american television culture or whatever embodied in one man or like you know yeah uh vulgar consumerism or you know and things like that he's a very interesting figure in in a lot of ways in terms of you know he's like this elite figure 
he's a billionaire and he's part of this super rich world but at the same time he is like vulgar and grotesque in a way that sets him somewhat apart from the american elite you know who don't really like him which is quite obvious in his like or at least like a segment of them don't which is pretty obvious in his tenure as president so there's all sorts of interesting ways to like get an angle on it but like in this film the character the trump character isn't anything like that he's this like mexican guy from a what appears to be a poor background he's loves his son it's clear that donald trump is not really capable of the emotion of love like i don't think he loves his children or you know he doesn't really have human relationships in that way as far as you can tell whereas this character is not like that at all and his central thing is about like granting wishes giving people what they want that's not what trump does yeah yeah <laughs> it's not anything to do with with trump like so it just feels like it's yeah it's just this weird weird thing where it's like missing on its targets and it feels the most uncomfortable at the end when it's hammering home its message because i think that i think like i mean there's a there's a, there's a question here about how one reads blockbuster f- entertainment like blockbuster films and listening to some of the reviews of this from people who like the movie like kermode who whose review is hilarious <laughs> i thought like I think that you just understand when there's stirring music and the character, the ma- the hero is speaking and they're delivering a message. It's like, you know, maybe you're supposed to just read this on the level of, um, I understand that the good thing is being delivered now and I won't actually listen to the words they're saying, but you yeah. just get from the tone what's supposed to be going on. But like this surface level, the text as written is like bananas, I think. <laughs> like really, really one of the weirdest morals of any like blockbuster i think i've ever seen Uh, and then like layered on top of that like every plot device and sort of concept and idea is both really really weird like really out there and surreal and strange and also explained in a way that is very very weird so that that adds up to a truly a truly bewildering experience so i i um yeah i i I was a bit primed. I had heard about this, so I was a bit primed for it. But I, I sort of thought I had got it by halfway through, and then by the end, I was like, I had, I didn't even know, I didn't even know half of where this was going to go. <laughs> like, I was, I was a bit freaked out, honestly, by the climax <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> it's completely, completely nuts. Yeah, I also think. I mean, this was something people picked up on the first movie. It's like female characters in Wonder Woman who aren't from the island of incredible goddess warriors. Like, I think there's something a bit pe- very peculiar about Christian Wiig's character. And also, I feel this sort of thing of, like, it's a celebration of women, but only kind of, like, one woman. It's like, Gal Gadot is this super hot babe, and everyone, every other woman in the movie, even if they're played by attractive actresses, are sort of, like, dowdy. And the whole Christian Wiig thing, kind of similar to the previous film where, like, uh, you know, Chris Pine's secretary is uh, get her name from the office, and she's like plus size. She's not like a sexy model babe. And then like the villain has like a broken jaw and a scar. She's like an ugly woman. And then there's like there, yeah. can, only, there can only be one babe in the movie, and it's Gal Gadot. <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the motivations is like not being Gal Gadot will drive you mad. Yeah, yeah. There's some very, very, very strange stuff going on with um with Kristen Wiig's character. They have. 
like her character addresses another the other the other kind of thing from contemporary culture that they're going for which is kind of a, uh, an angle on me too and the like rape culture mm. you know, the um kind of universality of sexual harassment and how like you know women experience it on a daily basis and so they go for that but it's oddly tied into her um trajectory of becoming a villain in a way that felt very very strange and like this is it is it is part and parcel of the movie's bigger issue in terms of its ethics or like its moral core because what there is kind of a message about um like truth it's a sort of a pro-truth film and the way that that is kind of expressed is that want like wishing for things to be better without like putting in enough work or something wanting things is kind of bad in and of itself that's bad it's bad to like want things so that what this so her her character is introduced as this like introverted socially anxious academic sort of type who finds it difficult to to deal with people but is basically nice person uh and she wants to be a sexy confident uh like beautiful woman and the film kind of says you know you know your place yeah that's what wonder woman is the sexy beautiful confident woman when you become sexy beautiful and confident that's actually bad you know yeah. you've become the bad guy i thought it was a bad version of like the kind of spider-man thing all the spider-man villains are like just normal people who get powers but they don't have peter parker's strong moral core and so they use their powers not responsibly but for evil but it works yeah. in those stories because it's all about how ben parker and aunt may raised him well and he's a good kid and you gotta, you know, great power comes great responsibility, but the Green Goblin is selfish, so he's a bad guy. Whereas, it's almost like the power, cor- if you're too, if you're nice, it doesn't matter. You're not hot enough to have powers, Kristen. <laughs> now become a cat. Yeah, yeah. it's the, the, the way that the film deals with wanting power is, uh, yeah, is, is really, really, is really, really strange. There's like, the, yeah. Shall we go into know. spoilers? Uh, yeah, let's let's have a little spoiler section for sure. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, it, this movie's too mad for us to talk around some of the subject matter. So come back in twelve minutes. Spoiler alert! Spoiler! Spoiler alert! Watch out! Spoilers avoid! Careful! Spoiler alert! Spoilers! So what the fuck was going on at the end, man? Jesus Christ! Yeah, let's discuss. Let's let's skip to the very end of the film because this is definitely definitely the most like what the fuck moment in t- in terms of all of the things colliding, like the strange morality, the strange mechanics, the like un, un- incomprehensible in- like logic of the film, all coming together in one sequence where he commandeers the super TV for some reason. Even though he can warp reality to bend his wishes, they had to introduce some special technology that would allow this to be possible. He could have just simply wished for it, but whatever. Um, and he delivers a press conference to the entire world simultaneously. Um, and then uh, they all start to wish for things. And it like, like part of what this movie's ethos is, is basically ordinary people cannot be trusted to know their own desires properly. Yeah, you absolutely cannot be allowed to just have whatever you want. If an ordinary random person, not a superhero, uh, wants something, they want something idiotic. You know, they, they, they're not going to want something like... Um, being able to stably feed my family or whatever the the only person who has a remotely normal wish is um his son right like uh 
the little kid who just wants his dad to 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 be with him you know the sort of naivety of childhood is is pure enough that the kid wants the good thing everyone else wants missiles to be famous like ludicrous like to kill people like ludicrous wishes that are just terribly bad you don't have like there's no there's no cutaway to someone who's just like i wish i had enough food to get to me me to the end of the week or i would you know i wish i had a stable income or whatever no no people are fucking evil and they wish for some people are evil shit. and you cannot you cannot give them power and then like the moment that i found like the most chilling is just wonder woman delivering this speech looking directly into the camera at the audience looking and into the windows this, of like, my soul looking into the windows of my soul giving this like long speech in this kind of staring music as though it was supposed to be really inspiring which is where she's literally like the world was good as it was you cannot have what you want things cannot be better the truth is beautiful the reality is just what it is stop complaining about how you want things to be you just have to accept that they're not going to be better for you i was like jesus fucking <laughs> brutal you know <laughs> yeah. stop dreaming of a better world it is impossible it cannot happen without everything being destroyed like that seemed to be the explicit message of the of the film in a way that i found so so weird and also i didn't understand what the fuck was going on like i understand that she could give chris pines for some reason she give chris pine a vision of the past using her rope i don't understand why it allows her to broadcast to everybody using the mm. guy's leg that didn't that wasn't established but whatever so she just persuades with this message of despair she persuades the entire world to give up their desires yeah that's the climax of the film i was like what the fuck i think that's exactly it and like it purports to be this like open-hearted sincere film but it's really about how the wrong elites are in charge and it's like we kind of someone like Trump. We need somebody who's served, who's got some political experience, who's worked as a senator, uh, who did her homework. You know, I'm with her. Whatever. It's a we real need someone like... who's grown up enough to say better things aren't possible. Yeah. We need someone to, to tell the rubes they can't expect things to get better. That's that's just impossible. I'm afraid. Sorry. The problem with Trump is he makes it sound like things might be better. That's irresponsible. You yeah. cannot hope for things to be improved. In a way, it kind of like um, matches the the like sort of plot hole of these uh, immortal superheroes, where they kind of live in somewhat recognizable contemporary history. Of like, if you were around, why didn't you prevent these? Yeah, you know, when Captain you America, woman. Captain America went back in time and lived a you know a long life up to twenty twenty or whatever. Why didn't he, you know, stop all of these horrific historical events from happening? Where was Wonder Woman during the Holocaust, you know? Yeah. And she understood that you just can't stop bad things happening. You just can't. You're powerless. Like, you know, you can't do that. Completely yeah. mad. And this, An upsetting, upsetting conclusion. And this is coupled with, like, incredibly, like, racist caricatures. Like... Yeah, it's one of my favorite things in blockbusters. Is like all the little normies have to react to the exploding satellite or whatever the you know MacGuffin is, and they're always like these kind of broad strokes. Often, I mean, I think they're probably best done when there's like a slight edge of comedy to them. But these were ones like from the sort of 1970s book of like racial caricatures. It's like every like person who isn't white is like clutching a gun and wishing for like bombs and stuff, and then like yeah. merry old England is like an overweight couple and you know. Want to go back to Ireland, you fecking bastard, or whatever? And then, like, the police turn up to like brutalize the Irish immigrants in London. <laughs> she fucking just has a heart attack because people are scum, yeah. you know. You can't give them <laughs> the moment you say, 
you can have any wish. They just try and kill each other, tear the world apart. Well, what what do we know? What do we know about Middle Eastern countries? They're constantly obsessed with obsessing with missiles and oil, and they're fighting and murdering each other, and they're essentially completely lawless. Like anytime there's like some sort of Middle Eastern society, they're all criminals, and there's no rule of law, and they're they're essentially just intrinsically bad. Yeah. And and what the like what was the 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 bit where the the emir is like I wish that my ancestral lands would would be granted and the heathens be expelled like what is he talking about literally what is he talking how it just seemed to I think you were supposed to read that as an audience and it's like oh they're always bloody fighting each other aren't they in those countries like whatever this generically con- country of brown people they're always bloody fighting each other. Yeah, it feels like it was made in 1984, you know, that like that sort of like racial stereotypes were acceptable can't 40 we, years can't ago. Can't we just send in Rambo to kill all of these yeah, people exactly, and yeah. deliver peace? Fucking mad. Also, I don't know if this is, out of as many problems, this is probably not like a major one, but like the fact that Chris Pine comes back and just, just subsumes some other person's life. So he's effectively, for her, Chris Pine to come back, I don't know why he couldn't just like come back just appear out of thin air. Why not, right? The yeah, witch, I have no idea. Thing... I, I don't know why they, Why wasn't Why wasn't it just that a portal opens and he emerges? I have no idea why they didn't do that. <laughs> but he sort of t- he takes the form of like some guy who actually was alive. So obviously he can't stick around because he's just effectively murdered somebody. And she's like, oh, I don't know whether to like let him go or not. It's like if you kill you like you were totally fine with like this man's life being. Maybe he had kids. Maybe he had a wife. You don't seem to care at all. And then she's like. Oh, yeah, I mean he he has a he has a he has a flat. This guy has a ha, seems to have a life. Yeah, that was probably one of the most bizarre reincarnation conceits of all time. Like, has it ever been done in a in a less intuitive and more freaky way? Where like it's kind of almost like body horror. There's this strange idea that he so he is in the body of another man. It's only Chris Pine's mind that is occupying this guy's body. Right, it's like he's body swapped into him. He's freaky Friday into him. Yeah, but we as the audience perceive him as Chris Pine because she sees him as Chris Pine. As soon as she she clocks that this is Chris Pine in there, he just looks like Chris Pine to her. But every scene that he's in, we know that it's really this other guy. Like that's just a very very weird, like a very weird way to do that. Yeah, and the the way that she just kind of leaves him in the street at the end. Are we supposed to understand that whoever the the other guy was has suddenly wakes up in the middle of a riot <laughs> and is like, "What the heck is going on?" <laughs> I think, like, it seems like a sort of trivial point, but it sort of gets to the heart of the movie's mistakes. In that, like, similar to the first movie, it's like the the kind of comic book logic is a bit kind of fuzzier with this franchise for some reason. It's like there's the god of Ares, you know, spider bites a man, gets spider powers. I'm like, I totally get it. But this was like these kind of god creatures who live on an island no one can see. It's all a bit more mystical and like Thor and like science and magic are the same thing. But this like simple conceit is like, okay, he's somehow come back from the past. Okay, I'll buy it maybe. It's like he's come back from the past and he's taken over some other guy's life and that guy's disappeared. It's like, what is, you've already, you've created like 4,000 questions I didn't need to be thinking about. And now I can't understand the rest of the movie because every time he turns up, I'm just thinking about this other guy's life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the whole... The, the the MacGuffin of the film, this this like dream stone that grants wishes, it can warp reality to be anything. So I don't know why they wrote this problem for themselves. Mm. She could have wished for him to come back and he could have literally just been created out of nothing. 
yeah. instead he was created as this existing man so I, I found that yeah it's very 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 strange yeah like that's probably the first sign in the film where it's like this is gonna this is gonna confuse and baffle you like this is gonna unsettle and surprise you and the the lack of justification for why Christian Wake decides to turn into a cat is also <laughs> one of the more weird creative decisions. I'm sure at some point as well they had a transformation scene where you see her turn into the cat, but that's been cut out. So there's exactly one there's like one scene where she's like, I wish I was a cat. And then <laughs> one scene in which she is a cat. And then that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I keep on sort of comparing to Spider-Man. I don't know, maybe that's just my favorite superhero franchise, but, you know, there's loads of examples of people, you know, oh, we injected you with lizard DNA to do this one thing, but it actually turned you into a lizard. So if, I'm like, watching the trailer, I was like, oh, it's going to be something where a similar plotline, but she's like, no, no, I wish I was a cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> there's been no, there was no setup that she's like obsessed with cats or like... Yeah, it's not like cat woman. It doesn't like fall asleep and wake up all the cats, for, you know... At least in the classic film Catwoman, she's surrounded by cats, and then she becomes the cat. Yeah, there's some logic there. I mean, we were talking a bit before we started recording about how weird it is to see her turn on her would-be rapist, beat them to a pulp, and for that to be the moment at which she has become the bad guy. So it's both this power fantasy about, you know, w- women, like, dispatching their attackers in a, in a heroic fashion, and also the moment in which her character pivots into clearly becoming v- villainous very very strange yeah completely mad like everything about this movie totally incoherent what are you trying to tell me what am i supposed to film this moment yay all right all right well one one more question about this film like what do you think of gal gadot herself do you think that she's good in this or how do you rate her as a kind of superhero protagonist i mean it's a bit hard to separate a performance from just how it's written i don't think she's a great actress and she's got no. like you know she looks the part but i just feel I wasn't quite buying... I felt like Chris Pine was doing a lot of the heavy lifting in the kind of relationship stuff. He was, like, kind of really giving it a bit of a heft. And she was just, like, staring and... I don't know. I've always felt like she was about to sell me something, the whole movie. Uh, yeah. I just don't quite buy her as a... I don't know. No, I kind of agree. I, I think in Batman v Superman, she was a bit of a breath of fresh air because she was in this... You know, very colorful costume. She's got cool guitar licks and she was at least smiling, seemed like she was having fun in the um, incredibly gray climax of that film. Um, but in her solo efforts, yeah, she's a little on the stiff side, I think. You know, maybe it was good casting, but like in the same way she is from this like magical island of super beings, she feels like she's from this upper echelon of like like wealthy wealthy rich people and like the reason she's glowing is because she can afford really expensive moisturizer you know it doesn't have that yeah, sort of, yeah. doesn't have that kind of clark kent man of the people christopher reeve quality it does 100%. feel and the movie keeps on talking about how like she's this god among us so i don't know it's kind of hard to like really get behind it because it just feels like the movie like stresses that like she's not one of you okay uh it's got that sort of slight like the incredibles and randy kind of view of superheroes for sure she definitely, she definitely does have that quality of um, just being superior to everybody else, um, which they are leaning into as a Superman thing. But it does feel a bit like, um, yeah, there's a sort of elitist feel to it. Keep there's, there was a lot of cutaways to just her in striking heroic poses, and you know, I don't know, didn't love it. This is not a 
This is not a good one. This is a dud, I would say. Yeah. One of the freakier films to to have come out lately. A real odd, a real oddity. But we say that about a lot of blockbuster movies, I guess, these days. Somehow weirder than the year twenty twenty. When Graf heard something that changed his life, what he listened to. When John Cusack made a mistake for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, after that long discussion, brings us to the end of this episode thank you so much for joining join us next week or whenever we release a new episode we'll review the film possessor brandon cronenberg's new film which apparently is very good it's coming to on demand so we'll review that and possibly something else i mean netflix is they've got a bunch of prestige movies they're releasing every week now so one night george clooney's movie george clooney's movie could review that could review the new regina king movie that could be good could be, could be good. Yeah, so until that auspicious occasion, keep watching the seas. Know your place. Know your fucking place, you plebs. Just remember, remember that nothing will ever get better. Truth is beautiful. The horrible reality is great. Love it. Love it. Goodbye. Goodbye. You'll never guess who he wants to be. Spider-Man. Why? He knows a hero when he sees one. Too few characters out there flying around like that, saving old girls like me. Lord knows kids like Henry need a hero. Courageous, self-sacrificing people, setting examples for all of us. Everybody loves a hero. People line up for them, cheer them, scream their names. Years later, they'll tell how they stood in the rain for hours just to get a glimpse of the one who taught him to hold on a second longer. I believe there's a hero in all of us.